When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so welcome to Got the Assist. It's season six for us, and we came back on there last week for our initial intro pod to the season. Bit of reintro to us, a bit of strategic chat, etc., etc. So if you haven't caught up with that, do go back and check that out. It was really good fun. So just get going again. It won't invalidate this pod at all. But just note that we obviously didn't have the prices back then when that was recorded. We do now, though. Yes, last Tuesday, the club gates opened and FPL launched for the 2022-2023 season. As moans of launch the game gave way to moans about not getting the low ID and how it's already too damn template. This pod is the pricing pod, one that I look forward to and also fear a bit in pre-season. A lot of work goes into it, but equally it's really enjoyable work. And hopefully in what I imagine will be a heavily edited final cut, you'll find our insights handy while you're drafting your team for the millionth time this July. I'm joined once more by new co-host Lucy. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Very, very warm. Very, very yes. warm indeed. Everyone's very warm. The attic has turned into an oven. But yes, ignoring the melting, I have my notes ready to go. We are Who Got The Assist. You can find Tom on the main account at WGTA underscore FBL. And you can find me, Lucy, at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. On the pod today, as Tom said, we'll be doing um, some idea of potential price structures and our thoughts on that. And then the big one, the price analysis. Don't all cheer at once. Structured by position and price tier in each of those positions. Yep, and it is Monday the 11th of July. There'll be new signings. Indeed, there are new signings today, which kind of changed the nature of the notes a bit. And some sales may have occurred and other things may have happened in pre-season. If you're listening in the future, just remember this is the 11th of July we're recording on. So, yep, the game has opened. A bit of a kind of trend plate has emerged. I don't think we're going to talk about that too much. But, I mean, we started touching, Lucy, on team structure and things like that last pod. Has anything changed for you? What sort of things are you thinking at the moment? I know you haven't looked at it too much, have you, in terms of drafting? I've kind of committed to what we briefly discussed last time, which was the 4-4-2 with a bit of kind of flexibility where you've hit the key price points. So I think probably looking at four premium defenders, some kind of cheap defender to sit on your bench. Salah, well, in my case, I can see some people going for Son. Probably that kind of £8 million midfield spot, which we'll probably unpack in more. And then a couple of cheaper options. Then I currently have Jesus and Haaland up front. So that's kind of how I'm working at the moment. I think it's probably quite similar to a lot of teams. Yeah, same. So looking at team structure, I really think, because I put on Twitter the other day, that the fun spots actually are the fourth defender, the second to fourth midfielder, because you're going to have Salah, 
And the second forward, because you're probably going to have Haaland. The goalkeeper in defence, I, I can't seem to be changing too much. I've got Raya. I know there's been some Brentford transfer news today, but I don't think that's going to change anything too much. Trent Cancelo, one of James and Chillers at the back. Salah in midfield and Haaland. And then the four to 4.5 defender, midfielder, the forward, that core looks pretty solid. I know, I know that Perisic is currently in the template. I haven't investigated the freemium yet still, and I want to see how that goes really, but it's it's just something that's going to develop over time as preseason happens. You've already seen it. Someone's done a goal in a preseason game, suddenly he's essential. Rashford suddenly playing a game for Man United. Oh, suddenly he's essential now. But I do want to reiterate quickly, and I'm sure Lucy will attest to this too, as a cautious manager by rope, that the template isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I say this every year. The players being honed in on this year, reinforced by OFPL tweeting that the highest owned players and also the scout pitch, which is basically the template, are there for a reason. So just check your urge to be contrarian and feel like you know better because in a lot of places you simply don't, I'm afraid. I think actually did just touch on the freemium thing, which I would normally hate, but I think potentially this season there's a better case for that kind of ultra-aggressive structure um, than there have been in previous seasons, mainly just because we've got that extra wild card. So you could conceivably be a bit more aggressive in those opening kind of five or six weeks and then resort to something a little less wonky when you've got an idea of kind of the eight million pound midfielders, for example, where the value is there, who's kind of performing. So you could see who kind of rises to the top and then revert then. That said, obviously it's me, so I'm never going to touch premium, but I I can see the rationale this season more than I can in, in previous seasons, I think. I, I can stand it as well, but I'm going to leave drafting until probably the last couple of weeks, just because you get down all these sort of mental rabbit holes, you start to mess around with it too much, get fixed ideas, lots of stuff that will come up with the behavioral science pod, which is coming up next week. So, so much can change. We're not going to go through our own teams where we are, but we'll give some indications of players who are currently parked in our sides during this, just to raise a couple of things before we get into it. The first is tabula rasa, or clean slate, for those who don't speak ancient Latin. Of course, Latin is ancient. What am I talking about? It's tautology. But anyway, um, I think that's always the best practice at the start of every season. It's not a case of forgetting what you know, but it's a case of trying to forgive and forget in terms of preconceptions about a player based on last season's results of what he did for you. It's a new year. There'll be new outcomes ahead. So you need to forget if a player wronged you before and try to be objective as much as you can. I mean, Lucy, do you do, you do that? I really try. I do believe that you should, in general do that um, and I have tried to do that as much as possible I do think that's an important point and if you can't do that I think you need to be honest with yourself so making a note of those players that have wronged you and going back to them and kind of looking at them in detail for example Grealish I know is a one I'll probably talk about um, but he underachieved quite significantly statistically and there's also lots of reasons to think that he might do better this season so I think reviewing players in detail and being honest about where you might have grudges is probably a good idea. Yep. Well, provided Grealish has gotten over his epic hangover, I'm assuming that he's, yeah, as you said, looking at the stats, uh, one who could do very well at his price point. And the final thing, obviously, we know there are huge ownerships at the moment for certain players. There'll be a reference to the ownership numbers throughout this pod. Uh, things will invariably change a lot as we go through pre-season. I don't think basing all of this in those numbers is necessarily worth it the things like Salah Haaland having high ownership should be implicit as are the rest of the players 
there's a few comments that you know going with a template is quite easy and you should go with it just in case there's a mass sort of price drop and things like that we'll probably come on to this the final pod of pre-season but maybe as we said last week 0.5 million in the bank is the way to go hey it insulates you against that early season transfer market stupidity so maybe it's the tonic and maybe this year is the one year that I actually bloody do it. Not happening, is it? Every single year I go, yeah, that's a really good idea. And I have it in my bank until about three days before deadline. And I go, oh, well, look what it would just do there. Yeah, I'll, I'll just pop that in. Cool. All right. Let's uh, give you a quick break there so you can start to break it all up. It might get a little bit long. Hopefully I'll be able to edit it down a little bit further. And then we'll really get into it just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Right, let's get into it then. We're going to mess up the order a bit. We're going to do midfielders, goalkeepers, defenders and strikers and whistle stop, just as a note, is a bit of an understatement. We're simply not going to be able to cover everyone. And as we said earlier, we're going to look at different price tiers. As I mentioned earlier, I'm not going to be mentioning ownership too much as it's a relevant pre-season, but the core seven are improbably high at the moment. So that 0.5 million in the bank, as we spoke about last week, probably looks like it's a bit of a necessity, but that could change too. Right, midfielders then. There are 215 midfielders in the game at time of recording. And for the premiums, who I'm going to class as 10 million plus, there are five of these. So just 2% of midfielders in the game at time of recording. However, these guys are probably the most important players in our FPL teams year on year because they are the source of the majority of our points, especially when it comes down to captaincy. I guess a really quick opening gambit, Lucy. Would you overthink Salah here? Well, in a move that will shock everyone, I will be keeping Salah. Don't know if anyone saw that coming. Um, I think there is a case for Son, and I have seen people put together compelling cases. But I think have, having just what we've just talked about in terms of captaincy being a key issue and ownership being a key issue, and that Salah loves an opening day haul, I think gambling against him could be hugely damaging if you misjudge it. Um, so I think going by the old saying that you can't win FPL in game week one, but you can lose it. I think Salah's the one that I cover off almost without thinking. So, yep. yeah, I don't know if you feel the same on that one. I do. 87 million is my budget. That's kind of how I looked at it at the start of the season. I think I can any other player I could probably be persuaded that I can't even think Salah on this one. He's sim- simply Mr. FBL in a lot of ways. And that enduring brilliance, I think, has become so expected that it's implicit. I'm not going to talk about Salah too much here, but 200 club finishes in all seasons, right up there in expected data year after year, and betting against him, as you say, especially yet with that kind of game week one against newly promoted team again it feels like folly to me like he's a sacrosanct FPL asset despite the back end of last year being a time to go without him of course I know that for example KDB got a lot of interest last year to just move on to another premium so I think we're probably going to establish a salary in and last year 196 points for KDB after quiet 2021 I kind of feel like and we'll talk about Hallen later but him being 12 at the moment has completely priced him out of the discussion, hasn't it? Because Haaland's 11.5. I think so. Yeah, I didn't even consider KDB as much as I like him as a player. You know, he's been a very consistent asset in the game. I just think what you're getting from Haaland is probably one of the, the best strikers in the world at a lower rate than I expected. And I think given that we've seen them potentially kind of hold out for Haaland, I think there was a, a situation last season where we asked did City need a central striker? Why didn't they have a central striker? I think that suggests that he's going to be pretty pivotal to them. There's obviously been a lot of kind of promotion around him being the new number nine and all of that kind of thing. So I can't see him being anything other than a key player. And if you're a central striker in in a team that creates as many chances as City does, I, I just can't see it being a loser. 
I hate to go on about EO and I didn't actually want to discuss it in any way, but given that Haaland's been such a popular pick since the game launched, I don't think there's much risk with it either. So, yes, I, I think Haaland's the obvious choice on that one, um, as much as I'd like KDB to be an option. Fair enough. I mean, the other 12 million, before we get into the tens, is some. And I feel like it's a bit of a harsh overlook, isn't it? I mean, we spoke about the freemium a little bit, and I think we'll come back to kind of team structure and the final pod of preseason. But I can see why people are looking at that a little bit. You do leave yourself very thin um, structurally, so you're going to be doing something like fielding a couple of 4.5 defenders that you really need to place trust in. But I think yeah, there's obviously long-term value with Son. I know a lot of people are defaulting to Perisic, who we'll cover later as their Spurs cover. But there's that enticing opening kind of Saints game in the moment. I think Son's the reason that Threemium seems justifiable, but I won't be going for it. There's more more than enough reason to look at him, but I just think, from my perspective, structurally, it just throws it too far out, um, so I can't justify him, and I, I wouldn't put him ahead of Salah. And I like the balance that's created by having a premium striker and a premium midfielder. So the obvious thing is that if you don't go for Son, you could potentially look at kind of the slightly next tier down. So there's um, Bruno Fernandes and there's Raheem Sterling. Now, I think those are probably two assets that you can't really justify, you know, throwing your whole structure out for from the beginning. But I think they're definitely two worth keeping tabs on. Um, obviously, with Sterling, you've got the prospective moves to Chelsea, which looks like it'll be finalised. And with Bruno Fernandes, you've got the kind of impact of Ten Hag. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Tom, but given that Sterling's got quite a rich history in FPL, and even when he had bad seasons, he still managed 19 in 20 goal involvements. You know, he's not doing too bad for himself. And of course, in the three seasons prior to that, he hit the 200 club. I think he'll be really good, actually. I'm really excited by his prospects at Chelsea. Um, I think he will benefit from being the main man, that's for sure. As you said, you're talking about a player who's got three 200 clubs as his team's main attacking weapon. Very explosive, which I'm a fan of too. Next 10, he could be a real sleeper pick as the potential son of this year. I think he's a candidate, again, to break the 200 club, I'd say, given past performance. I don't think he's going to be a member of the Tuchel Tombola, as it's called. I think that he will be kind of Tuchel Salah. He will pretty much play as many games as he's able to. So a redirect player who could be awesome at Chelsea. On Bruno, I think that a lot of that is contingent on what happens with Ronaldo. I think we saw Bruno be a little bit muted last year, I think, uh, with his fellow Portuguese around. I think they're very much kind of a keep an eye on kind of situation with them. I do like the idea of Sterling potentially kind of building a freemium of Sterling at some point. But in future, I think that they're basically just a good alternative to a Haaland or if something happens to Mo Salah, freeing up that 1.5 million or 2.5 million, whatever it's going to be, to play with later down the line if something happens where a one premium test up looks favourable could be really, really good. So probably wouldn't go on to begin with either of those two. Um, but given the all-round potential of those players, they could be worth looking at. But 1.5 to 2 million less. There's a cluster of players who provide probably the most interesting price point in FPL at the moment, which are the 8 million, 8.5, including Bowen midfielders. So there are, well, all the way from 8.5 all the way down to, I don't know, let's, let's say kind of six. So about 10% of midfielders in FPL in this bracket. But sticking with the 8s to 8.5s at the moment, I think having one of these is pretty essential for your team structure, isn't it, at the moment? And given the nature of those players as well, they seem like the sort of players who were last year's talisman within this bracket. Their proven FPL performance probably won all of them. 
Bowen, Madison, Sacra, and Mount value to be found in this bracket. So I mentioned four there. There's also a few more at this price. Foden, Mares, Kulisewski, and Luis Diaz. All options, very high ceilings. But I guess preference to start the season, Lucy, is the best question here. We don't need to sell you on these guys as much in terms of who they are. So it's more kind of, I guess, more kind of tactical who you go with at the moment, I think, or whether you even go with two of them. What are you thinking at the moment here? Well, to kind of recap on the structure situation, I think that one of them is more or less essential if you're not going for that premium option. There's even a decent argument to go for two. As to who I favour, at the moment, I have Luis Diaz. I know Robertson's also got a good claim to that third spot. And there's a bit of a kind of tension there in the sense that Andy Robertson's output increased when Diaz was introduced. Um, So Diaz's kind of expected minutes both improve him and um, Andy Robertson. So there's there's a kind of double-edged sword going on a bit there. Um, But I I think Diaz makes a lot of sense from the perspective that you'd have been quite happy paying, I don't know, 10 million for Sadio Mane. And Diaz is probably playing in the same position he was playing. Admittedly, you know, not with the same certainty about minutes and appearances, especially with Nunez and Jotra around. But I think given what he potentially offers, he's quite a tempting option. The other one that I've kind of come quite close to putting in is Saka. But at the moment, yeah, I've kind of swung towards Diaz. I don't don't know who you've got in there at the moment, Tom. Well, I, I do like Diaz, actually. I think it's 0.59 XGI per 90 last season. That's really attractive, to be honest. And he is the go-to for the no Salah mob, that's for sure. Given the price and given the fact that he may sew up Mane's spot for 8 million, as you said, you'd be happy to pay 10 million for Mane, 11 million for Mane. It's just that Diaz is a little bit unproven, but in terms of the points per 90, that's very good and worth looking at. And Liverpool's starting fixtures are... Definitely desirable in terms of attacking fixtures. They're up there with Man City, Shock Horror. So I can see why he's in, that's for sure. And Saka also, similar SGI to a lot of the boys in the upper echelons. Clear talisman for Arsenal last year. The problem is that he's impacted in the same way De Bruyne was by having a like asset priced around the same as Gabriel Jesus. Fixtures are very good for Saka. He does have the lowest points per 90 based on last season, though, for Saka. And the question is, is Jesus probably a better option? I think he probably is at this point. So I'm, Who I'm, do you think gets penalties? I, I think that Saka keeps them. Listen to City fans. He's not the best at penalties, if that makes sense. He's not known for taking penalties. So I, I suspect that, that Saka does keep them. That's probably not the be all and end all, really. Um, to, no, to, it's not. As, it's as a swinger another, to Saka. It's, yeah, it's just another a kind of... recipe, isn't it? Yeah, it's a pro for him. Oh, I do think one player does deserve a bit of mention here. That's Kulisevsky. I really liked how we ended last season. Seven points per 90 at the back end of last season. It's not to be stiffed at. 0.5 XGI per 90 as well is not too shabby. Uh, He's actually in my draft at the moment, Lucy. And the reason for that is that he provides a solution to a bit of a problem that I've got. So apart from Perisic, Spurs, as I said earlier with Son, are a bit of a blind spot going into game week one, I think. And we've reflected how Son and Later, probably Kane are crowded out by Salah and Haaland. Now, Kulisevsky is 8 million, has already shown his quality. And crucially, through Richarlison being banned for game week one, will definitely play the Southampton game. I don't think he'll necessarily be jettisoned for game week two either. I don't know how it will work with Richarlison, who he is kind of coming in to sort of replace or be the alternate to, because... Conte has said that he plays across the front three. And I think for me, you know, Kulu is in a good spot because... As an early season front, he occupies an important price point. I know we don't normally like temporary pickups, but we are have a bit of a strange season where we've got three wild cards and adding to his price 
being quite decent and being kind of a price which enables you to move between players at that price point. I feel like that's okay. I really do. And I think people are slightly overstating the threat of Richarlison to him. I think Conte said that he sees him as playing across the front three. And I just don't see him as being bought exclusively as, as Kudazeski's competition, which is kind of somehow how some people have framed it, which I don't think really kind of cuts it, especially when you factor into that, that Richarlison's not really got any history of playing off the right. He's classically played through the middle or off the left. So obviously he could play left and then maybe some switch out right. But I don't think he's quite as much of an alternative to Kudazeski as, as some people have suggested. Yeah, and the creativity as well is sim- that Kudazeski represents simply isn't replicated by Richarlison. So I think there is definitely something in that with Kudazeski. Obviously, you kind of would like to go with the Alpha and Omega, but sometimes you do have to go for the Fater, and it could be that that's Kudazeski. I do like him at that price point. Diaz and Kudazeski are doing quite a similar thing in terms of giving you a, an additional route into a good attack. That's it. Kulu does offer that sort of solution to a problem if you aren't convinced by Perisic, and I'm iffy on that one at the moment. Other ones to mention, Madison ended the season very strongly, had big explosions in the doubles, and Leicester don't have to worry about Europe now, which is a clear plug for him. He actually outscored Saka last season, and a healthy points for 90 of 6.61, actually. Maybe a bit under the radar in terms of how teams are set up. There is a difficult Arsenal game uh, for Leicester at the start of the season, but that sort of masks the fact that there's two really nice home fixtures game week one against Brentford the game week three against Southampton for Leicester very explosive as well Madison 38 points from the last two game weeks of last season especially double game week 37 where he really went off so I mean he could be one that's kind of a bit of a dark horse right now as is Mount I think who's been slightly hard done by FPL Review um, who I would strongly recommend you go and check out has brought out his ratings recently and he's actually top for 8.0 million midfielders got double figures for golden assists last season which is kind of a bit on the radar for him and it'd be really interesting to see how he and sterling interplay together i've seen how hench he is as well by the way now i think madison i think you kind of nailed it when you talked about the kind of absence of europa league i think that had a significant impact on leicester as a general group last season i think that's apart from the body injury has been a kind of big reason why we didn't really look at them until we came to double game weeks. Um, I think with the lack of that kind of commitment, that should have quite a positive impact for all of their attackers, but um, especially Madison. Mount, yes, I did see that he's looking hench. I think there's quite a lot of studies to suggest that that's not necessarily beneficial, but we'll we'll carry on. Um, I think he's probably one of those players that I always underestimate to a certain extent. There's something about him that just never really kind of attracts me to him. So that's why probably I haven't haven't really considered him. Obviously, the other ones at this price point to mention are um, Foden and Mares. Mares seems to be getting kind of a lot of attention on Twitter at the moment, basically because people seem to think that he's going to play all the minutes in the world all of a sudden, which I'm not sure I can get on board <laughs> with. I think there's still plenty in that squad that could play off that right wing. Bernardo Silva's got a history of doing it. Foden, obviously, with his left foot, is actually probably quite suited to that. And then, of course, Alvarez, who's just joined from um, Argentina, he's also played there. So I don't think it's quite as clear-cut as people are kind of suggesting with Mares. Although I did see today that he's about to sign a new contract, so maybe I know nothing, and that Mares is suddenly a much more reliable option. And, of course, you've also got Foden. I don't know how you feel about those City players, though, Tom, because they're, they're always a bit of a rotation risk, aren't they? 
I'll probably have Cancelo, I think, almost definitely having Haaland. So I think it's probably a case that I probably don't want to over-tilt too much onto City, especially, as you say, because of that risk. It's an, it's an implicit risk, but one we probably need to mention. With Mahrez particularly, I don't buy this idea that he's suddenly nailed because Jesus and Sterling have gone. I know I spoke about Tabula Raza earlier on, but I'm still a bit sceptical of him. Uh, it's really hard to kind of ever trust with Mahrez that he's going to play two games consecutively. And with Haaland also new to the press, I don't know if Mahrez, who's probably the weakest in terms of the press, is going to be paired with him very often. I think Luke Disable via Planet FPL has theorised that as well. I'm sure I've taken that from there. I think that every time on Mahrez and FPL Twitter consensus as game weight, that Mahrez will quote-unquote definitely play the next game. He simply hasn't. And I think for me, he's the epitome of the pitfalls of predicting Pep. So I'm not too sure on him. I do like Foden. I think that he could be a player who is overlooked pre-season because you've got Haaland, you've probably got one defender, and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to triple up. But historically, he's on that trajectory. And this year could be the year, especially with the lack of opposition to him I guess that could really kind of make him into a player that would make a mockery of the 8.0 price tag but I suppose there's another City player isn't there Lucy in debonair Jack Grealish who perhaps at 7 million could be interesting too I really struggled to make a case for Jack Grealish I think I mentioned it earlier on in the sense that he did to a certain extent um, underperform so he was actually looking at 0.53 xgi per 90 which is actually pretty decent, but we just never really saw the output for it. I find the 7 million category in general quite problematic from a kind of structural perspective. There's just not enough there to make me think that I want to kind of carve that out in my squad. I just don't think it leaves you with enough flexibility. I think it's one of those categories where I'm sure we'll kind of talk about them. So there's Barnes as well. It's another example of Coutinho. I think those are all the ones that you can kind of keep tabs on and not feel like you need to commit to them because you can kind of pull up to them from the six, five and a half category and come down to them from the 8 million category. I think there's just so much value in that 8 million category that it's very difficult to make case for any of those seven millions um i don't know if you feel warmer on any of those ones not really i mean harvey barnes at seven struck me as good value when i saw the price point i mean he to the eye is a player who's very much a two in ten sort of player but eight times out of ten he's a headless chicken runs on a blind alley and gives the ball away two out of ten cuts inside and finishes with a plum really decent per 90 score but points per 90 score last season of 5.86 so of 7 millions that's second to Gundogan or 7.5 millions so second to Gundogan but yeah with him with Coutinho and Coutinho's got potential as we know very kind couple of open fixtures for Villa and Zaha as well at Palace who finished up their talisman lots of shots in the box lots of big chances last year playing as a forward they could all represent decent value it's just as you say structurally if it was better to go with an eight maybe even two eights and maybe leave this category as one to drop down to because you're probably not going to lose anything by missing these guys. Is it the same for the 6.5s? Trossard, JWP, anyone in here? I think for JWP, this is discussed every single season. People go, look what he got last season. <laughs> look, why didn't we have him? And the problem is that the guy's dependent on set pieces pretty much. So, you know, corners headed in or free kicks and your rods of 
predicting when those are going to take place are pretty slim um so every single year i think we pretty much say oh yeah i should have had him but you know no one manages their team with a six and a half all seasons season keeper you know keep him there and not do anything with him so it, it's almost kind of a pointless conversation on dwp yeah no, i agree i agree i think he's he scored 10 he scored his, the most goals he's ever scored in the premier league last year he got into double figures he got 10 the eight for were from set pieces, four four free kicks, four penalties. A free kick is yeah. basically a penalty for him, isn't it? Let's be fair. But yeah, no, you're right. It's just it's just unpredictable, and no one likes that unless you're playing a zombie team or you're playing, you know, a, a game where you've got limited transfers. Maybe oh yeah, for a zombie team, he'd be a great choice. Yeah, but, exactly. Straight yeah, in. in the real world. No. I mean, but there is there is one person in that six and a half category, isn't there, Tom? There is, there is. I mean, it's Trossard, isn't it? No, 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 dear me. No, I'm sorry, I have talked up Trossard. I'm going to have to kind of come clean now. I've talked up Trossard and Talisman Theory. There's lots of stats and meaning for that. He's got an uncanny, uncanny similarity, actually, in terms of last season's data and Bowen's two years ago. So if, if Brighton pull it all together, I think the Trossard could definitely be one to watch, but not for the start of the season. One the start of the season I really like, Marcus Rashford, I mentioned him earlier on. Three million price drop. The biggest one we saw of any player this season, as Nick reported online, just this week gone. And why I'm interested in Rashford is threefold. One, Rashford is hardly an unknown quantity. Uh, he had a really shoddy season last year. That's undisputed. But this is a player with two 175-point finishes under his belt and could, along with Sancho, 7.5, another one we didn't mention there, really be resurrected an asset this season. Obviously, we don't know yet if he's a starter. But if he's not looking like he's going to be a starter judging by preseason is easy to remove as well but if he is this is the guy who has overperformed well in his numbers last couple of seasons before the one before and which means that with a fair wind he can make a mockery of that price tag and provide decent value especially if Ten Hag is the man to bring United back to where the fans believe they belong the second reason the midfield two to four feels a good punt slot as I said there's an eight million player in there that's for sure but three and four Definitely, there's a spot for one punt at least. It's wide open at the moment. And we'll talk about kind of the sixes and the 5.5s in a minute. But at the moment, Rashford at 6.5 is a a great risk to take early doors, provided he's looking like he's going to start. Not owning a Salah or a Hallam may well punish you, but not owning a player at this price point probably won't. And that leads me to the final point, bandwagon ability. If Rashford does well early, his price will skyrocket given the low base and how easy it is to reach. It's always easier to own from the start a player like that than buy in. I mean, clearly it's contingent on preseason and other factors aligning, but I really think we need to observe what we always say and try to employ Tabula Raza when it comes to a new season with a player like Rashford, whose confidence was clearly shot after you know, the unpleasantness after the World Cup. And I think there's always room for redemption in FPL, especially with a player who's still quite young. Though I don't know if a cautious manager would agree. Would they, Lucy? I am actually incredibly tempted by Rashford. Um, I think there are lots of reasons, that, and you've, you've touched on most of them. I think there were there was one thing I wanted to say was that I don't think he's had a proper pre-season in a very long time. And um, kind of aside from the confidence issue, which he clearly had last season, is that he's never really had like a kind of good run of fitness and a kind of consistency to the health and fitness of his game that's not been the case for two or three years and I think you've seen that in his football so I think that could also have another important impact I think also the other mm. thing when we're talking about bandwagon ability is that he's a Manchester United player we consistently see the masses go wild for a Man United player often actually completely unjustified 
side. But in this case, if you were to see Rashford pick up a few early goals, or you know, even just one goal would be enough probably to get all those Man United fans really excited about him. And thus you could see exactly what you're saying in terms of his ownership rocketing. So actually, considering how conservative I normally am, I'm surprised by how tempted I am. Very, very decent, I think. All of the ingredients are there. We just need a spot to light the fire, don't we? And <laughs> getting down to the fringes, so midfielders who are six million and below, there are 188 of these players. There's more midfielders than any other classification in FPL. 88% of all midfielders are priced at six million and below, which just shows you what a wide pool this is to fish in. Not going to talk about it too much, obviously, or we'll go for every player. Six million and below. Let's let's stick to six before we get into that very, very testy 5.5 slot. At six, there's obviously Martinelli, potentially Bruno G, and then Ben Rama, et cetera, et cetera. Can he repeat the train at six? Bruno G, huge points per 90 last season, 5.74. Uh, most of his data wasn't too much to write home about, uh, but certainly looking like the footballing talisman, if not the FPL talisman of uh, the Toon Army, uh, very, very good in foot manager. Not that, that matters. And uh, he's got a decent pair of opening fixtures, actually, with Forest and Brighton uh, before they run to a few trickier ones after that. But, but decent points per 90 there. Uh, it's, uh, I'm looking at Martinelli and thinking, oh, well, last year he and Smith Rowe seemed to be sharing minutes depending on the opposition. Could Bruno G be the guy in the six million slot or are we just ignoring this one as well, Lucy? I'm more on the six million slot than I'm on the seven million slot. Um, I think. Talking about Bruno G, I think that was one of those ones where actually if you'd done a bit of research on Bruno last season, you were pretty much punished for it because he typically took a much deeper role and a less kind of involved role for Leon than he did from Newcastle. And he actually played a little bit more advanced and that created, you know, a lot more kind of goal involvement. So he was up to 0.41 for Newcastle last season, up from his very best at Leon was 0.25. So yeah. we're not talking about amazing figures here, but that's quite a significant percentage increase in terms of involvement. And he wasn't playing primarily as that holding role. He was playing as an eight and making kind of late runs and doing a bit more. So I think for people like probably you and me who had looked into his role and thought, no, he's not really much value. He was a bit of a surprise. And I don't want to kind of sleep on him too hard this season. So actually, I have kind of looked at him. I don't, I mean, obviously, you're the Arsenal fan. So to come back to Martinelli, I kind of got the feeling looking through his minutes that once he kind of convinced Arteta of his merits, his minutes weren't that bad. Like he, you know, occasionally got benched, but I thought they were pretty good, actually. But I, I still think he's the one who comes out, though, if Smith Rowe has a, a spurt of quote-unquote form. I can't see Saka being moved out, for example. I don't really think that ESR is slated to play the 10 role that um, Odegaard's probably would be occupying. See how it goes to Fabio Vieira as well. I, I just wonder with Martinelli, I know that pound for pound, he offers great on-paper value for money. It's just whether you want that sort of initial risk in your team at the start of the season. I do think he starts the season for what it's worth. I noticed earlier on that Saka probably is on penalties. If Martinelli's on the pitch, he's on penalties, which again is a bit of a plus for a six million. So I completely understand why you'd be looking that way. And if you look at our fixtures, especially if you're saying, I'm going to be wildcarding fairly early, it's a game week sort of six or seven, eight, something like that then having him in for a short period of time does actually appeal. So I'm not writing him off entirely, that's for sure. I think I do think he's interesting. Good. That's what I like to hear. 
Cool. Well, I mean, th- th- let's move down uh, one more to the 5.5s. I know there's definitely a lot of discussion about these guys because they're structurally probably pretty interesting if you're looking for that sort of 4-4-2 straightforward tem- template thing we've spoken about. I want to mention quickly is Fournals here. And he's one who's really flown under the radar that me and my friend Libero are having a chat. And he was one that came up in conversation just because he's a starter for West Ham Fournals. Last season, he got 32 starts, four off the bench as well. And he got 3.76 points per 90, which hardly sets the world alight. But that isn't bad at all at his price. And he was also just outside the top 30 in all players in the Premier League last season in terms of non-pen-expected goals and assists as well at 10.6. That's the same level as the likes of Conor Gallagher, Richarlison and Joel Cancelo. That's not bad for a 5.5. I know they've got the opening game against Man City. We didn't speak about Bowen at all. And I think that that is probably symptomatic of the fact that there's the opening games, other players have more sort of attractive opening games. But at 5.5, I don't really see much drawback to Fornells apart from that opening fixture. I mean, he's a starter for West Ham on paper. And if you watch them play, he's integral to their attack. So I mean, that's not bad at all, really, if you're looking for a West Ham player. Just to reel off the rest of the players here, you've got Mr. Visser, my current team named, named after him. We made a mistake, or was like a Jar Jar Binks reference. He had the best points per 90 last year amongst players at the 5.5 category, 6.5. A lot of that is due to him scoring 25 points in the final three game weeks. And he took an 0.5 million reduction this year as well. So one to keep an eye on if he, if he gets that front berth in preseason. Likes Felice, Ezzy, Pedence, Gray, but... There's one big one here, isn't there, Lucy, which is, seems to be in everybody's team now, and that is Pedro Neto. Yes, Pedro Neto seems to be, I want to say, inexplicably popular. What I mean by that is that I don't think it's unjustified to look at him, but the kind of scale of enthusiasm for him is is just a bit over the top. And I say that for a few reasons. One being that I'm not sure we've got sufficient sample size to kind of make any judgments of last season. So he only played the minutes equivalent of about five games when he came back from injury. You can extrapolate back a bit further. They're fairly solid numbers. I think he's looking at typically around 0.4 MPA XGI per 90, which would probably put him level with a, a few kind of a little bit higher up than him. That's you know similar to Odegaard's XGI. But can you really use those numbers from two seasons ago to extrapolate when this Wolves attack has been quite significantly dented over the last 18 months or so? So you've got the Jimenez injury. He's never really quite looked the same since that injury. Fabio Silva hasn't really looked capable of kind of filling his boots either. They've kind of lacked real kind of thrust and there's no real consistency of potence either. So I'm just a bit cold on Wolves as an attacking structure, which therefore turns me off. Pedro Neto to a certain extent I quite like them to make proper use of Morgan Gibbs White but it looks like they're kind of touting him for um sales so that that does make me uneasy on Neto I guess the the thing is his ownership will likely be high so you can't really lose but I do think it's worth looking elsewhere um we mentioned Visser very briefly there they look like they've just signed Keen Lewis Potter from Hull and he often plays off the left which is where he was playing a lot so I think there's going to be a kind of doubt about him there. I could be sold on four nows for sure. I feel like at this point, I can relatively reasonably mention Saints players. I don't think any of them are worthy from the start, but I thought I'd just shoehorn them in there anyway. Our fixtures are terrible, so please don't buy any of them. And I repeat, don't buy any of them. <laughs> but if you are kind of looking a bit further along, maybe one of the wild cards, Stuart Armstrong is potentially really good value. He's 5 million playing predominantly as a 10 
um, in our system, which is pretty much a wide player, but we call them 10s. And Joe Aribo just arrived from Rangers at five and a half. He's got a decent kind of record for goal involvement and he could be another option off those wings. So just one to flag there. But yeah, I think just being careful about Neto and not just putting him by default. The problem we have is that the way that most of our teams are structured is that we do need one of these players. So you're just going to have to take a punt and know that five and a half isn't a lot to gamble, I think. I agree. And same with the fives as well. That likes Stu Armstrong, Leon Bailey, football manager legend, did a goal the other day. So suddenly he's essential as well. Um, I think in the five millions, it's very much one of those things where it's like, there's not much to say. I think we should leave it at that. 4.5 to finish off the midfielders. Are we all buying Andreas Pereira, Lucy? I think so. I think as always, you want people in the segment that are going to get you 60 minutes just so that you can get your two points any goal threat being a bonus I think any goal threat was always a bonus but it really is a bonus now given that they've trimmed back the category and the problem is I think by trimming back the category they were trying to make the game more challenging that's my only theory there so you've got people like Oriol Romeu who is a blatant yellow card magnet coming at five million don't know how you justify that one. but it, it all it means is that we all just gravitate around the one player so if we find a player that's going to start everyone has him so you've kind of just killed it as a kind of point of variance and differentiation because everyone's just gonna have the same player so i just want to have that rant that i don't think that move to skim out the four and a half was a good idea can i, can I just point out that Romeo doubled his attacking returns last year he went from one goal and one assist to two goals and two assists Therefore, he is worth 0.5 more. And yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I, th- I think it's one of those things where uh, ownership at this level does matter. I think in terms of players who are going to provide two points plus any sort of potential, you've got probably Andres Pereira, um, who's by all, all intents and purposes going to be playing an attacking role for Fulham. Uh, Josh De Silva at Brentford. Um, looks to be one who's gathering pace a bit. Um, FPL Dummy Tom, uh, who's a Planet FPL Brentford correspondent, was singing his praises. Sounds like he got unlucky last season, a little bit of those injuries. And now absurdly long suspension at one point. I think he got suspended in one month and could only come back two months later due to a quirk of the calendar. But he could be the Ericsson replacement, it sounds like, which isn't bad at 4.5 and kind of an ostensibly attacking team. But I think what's key is that ownership point that you mentioned there, Lucy. Owning the highest own 4.5, and this also makes sense for four points zeros in terms of defenders and probably the 4.5 boards is probably the way to go because it insulates you against price falls at least that is the received wisdom so more people owning tends to mean that a higher proportion need to sell to a nat to price change judged by what we know it's best to go with that higher own player in each of these brackets to ward off losing cash not mad cash when we saw the bracket firsthand it looked like a cacophony of trash uh, but the news was announced on prayer removing and you know Josh the Silver and so on and so forth. It's just better to go with the crowd, really, overall. You pay zero for this guy, really, because you've got to pay 4.5 for a midfielder. So either of those players look absolutely fine to me, as long as they look like they're going to star. You've also got, you know, the likes of Alzate and Sarmiento at Brighton. But you know, there we go. It's, it really is kind of quite a fallow category, isn't it? But it's really interesting that we seem to have gone from a well, like a shaky 12-man squad to a 14-man squad now, uh, which is quite cool to see. Yeah, it gives you a bit more confidence, I think. And it should mean that you can look at players that are a little bit more risky. I do think that expected minutes are important, but I think you can maybe take a couple of more kind of slightly gambly picks than you could otherwise, knowing that 
if the worst came to the worst, you'd at least get um, a couple of points off the bench. Does that mean that we've now finished midfielders? Is that a category it does. down? It does. I mean, we should just do the goalkeepers before we take a quick break. I mean, it, it's definitely an interesting one. There's 50 goalkeepers in the game this season and picking a goalkeeper back in the day was like, right, Nick Pope, Tom Heaton, you'll do. Get in my team and you aren't leaving for 38 game weeks. I miss those days, especially me having made seven goalkeeper transfers last season. Is it worth... I know, I know. Is it worth, Lucy paying more than 4.5 million for your goalkeeper i am a proponent of four and a half keepers and i think they've actually been strengthened this season by the fact that we've got a few more than we sometimes do so that kind of gives you a bit of flexibility if you want to change but i think more than that we've got the effective extra wild card um, as a result of the world cup and i think that means that you can probably be quite tactical in the way that you kind of target blocks for those four and a halves so we talk about the kind of received wisdom being that you don't use free transfers on goalkeepers or you try to limit that. Just just so you know, Tom, you try and limit it. But <laughs> <laughs> if you want to kind of make those changes, you've got a bit more flexibility this season to do that. Um, so I'm I'm warmer on the four and a half than I have been on previous seasons. And I, I don't need a lot of convincing on them in general. I mean, I think, Tom, one of the, the big ways that people were kind of moving away from the four and a half was... Um, for Mendy, I think there was a, a lot of hype when the, the prices came out that Mendy would be a value option. I'm a bit sceptical. What do you think on that one? Chelsea lost their oomph at the end of last season, that's for sure. Their defenders became completely untenable because they just basically went, well, you know what, Premier League's done. We've, we've got third. So let's concentrate on the Cups. But it's, it's worth mentioning last season, they kept the second most clean sheets they had in the last four years. So it's not like they were completely useless that's for sure. And the saves actually weren't too far off either, what you'd expect the likes of Allison and Edison to do. The problem is, is that there's uncertainty with that Chelsea defence even now. They still need to sign a couple of centre-backs. I mean, they're kind of, apart from Chalibur and the likes of that, their only remaining senior centre-back is a 38-year-old, I think, Thiago Silva. So the calibre of player they're going to be signing is very high. It's just the limited time that Tuchel's going to have to ingratiate them into his system. So uh, Mendy, I can see why people are looking at him, that's for sure. A bit higher, I can see why people are looking at Edison as well. Um, you can get 150 to 180 points at 5.5, which could be really worthwhile. Again, no one manages a zombie team in real season, but you know, 4.19, I think it was, points per 90 last season was pretty decent. Allison's actually superior at 4.89 points per 90 because he got those saves as well lots of seriously good saves Allison actually but again he limits what you can get in especially if there comes a point when you can have a triple Liverpool or a triple Man City in the outfield in the 4.5s the best I mean what I did to assess this I was really lazy I put this on Twitter as well afterwards and got an inevitable barracking from a few people but I looked at two key stats for goalkeepers who had played 20 more games last season points per 90 and saves per 90 and add them together to make a really lazy goalkeeper index I know some saves are double counted I know that but this is a really lazy shorthand to get a feel of who comes out on top amongst those important metrics uh, Saar came up come out on top followed by Raya then Schmeichel then Allison, and so on basically if you want a five Sars good we knew that last season when we nominated this goalkeeper goalkeeper of the season in the last pod last season but I think Reyes makes a points per 90 and saves per 90 making him a worthwhile pickup especially given Brentford's start of the season the only fly in the ointment is uh, Strakosha uh, who has signed for them too it seems from Lazio I mean, Strakosha was my goalkeeper and my most recent Lazio save. He's very good. He was also was a sweeper keeper. Um, but in the same way, it looks like that's kind of a twofold sort of thing. 
one, the lad, I think it was Fernandez uh, last year, hasn't been kept on. He was there on loan, but hasn't been kept on. So they need a proper backup goalkeeper. Uh, the second backup is uh, Balcom or Cox. I think the, the, the two of them are, and they're both young and untested. And the other thing is Raya, um, and he has two years left in his contract. So I think they're kind of future-proofing slash, you know, making sure they're not in trouble if Raya gets injured again. So I, I think that Raya is going to be the number one. I think that he'd be the number one I'm looking at at the moment. I've got really bad memories of the likes of Sanchez, the likes of Guaitar. So Raya at the moment hasn't left my team. He was the one that I was really kind of nerdily pleased with 4.5. Uh, I think his mix of points for 90 and saves for 90 making the most worthwhile pickup here. Hopefully <laughs> that's the way you've gone as well. Yes, that is the way I'm currently sat. I didn't actually have Sanchez as much as some people last season, so I'm I'm not quite so scarred by him. So I think he's a decent alternative if you find later down the season that you, you think his fixtures look better or for whatever reason, Raya isn't isn't what we thought he would be. Um, so I think you've got kind of points to pivot off, which which again makes Raya attractive. Um, but yeah, Raya's the, the pick I've got in. I don't like the idea of um, super premium picks on this for the Allisons and Edisons just because of that point you just made in terms of it taking up slots that you might need for something else. Um, I could be convinced on Larice actually. Spurs kept the most clean sheets after those top two. I thought Spurs might look at recruitment for a potential successor, given that you know Larice isn't isn't the the springest of chickens. That's not a thing, but you know what I mean. The springest um, of chickens. Isn't <laughs> um, the spring chicken? Um, but they, they haven't really done that, so it looks like he's he's fine, and potentially there could be value there if kind of Conte has a effect on their defence, which which seemed to be the case no. um, last season. So um, if I was going to go down the premium route, it would be Larice, but um, I think Raya is a, a really kind of sensible pick at this point. Cool. No, the only other thing to mention here is that if you are favouring early wild cards, like really early wild cards, you might look at Ramsdale potentially and spend that extra 0.5 really good opening fixtures. If you don't like any of the Arsenal 4.5s or 5.0s or you're going for that five at the back and you know really going for it with defence, Ramsdale could be quite a good cycle actually because their fixtures are quite good. All caveats about Wolves aside, but yes, interesting category. I think 4.5s, Raya is absolutely fine. Cool. Two categories down, two to go. Take a break there, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back, and it's time to talk about the defenders. There are 182 of these in the game at the moment, and for premium, so ones I'm going to put at 5.5 and above, there are only 13 of these, so 7% of all defenders at the moment. And the big question, Lucy, is can we look past Trent and Cancelo? I can't look past Trent. I could be convinced on maybe overlooking Cancelo. Trent, I think his numbers speak for himself. Everyone who plays FPL semi-seriously is probably quite aware of those. Cancelo, I think, significantly underachieved from a kind of XG perspective. So you could have arguably got more points out of him. I think he had he underperformed by three or four on his XG. So that's quite significant and probably would have shifted opinion on him. I could be convinced that if I wanted money elsewhere, um, that Laporte might be okay. Um, so I, I can look elsewhere on Cancelo, but I probably won't if I'm completely honest, because it's me. Yeah, I agree with everybody who looked at Trent's price and just thought, with the greatest respect, that's a bit of a cowardly pricing. Like I think that yeah. 8, 8.5, that would have given people a real question. 7.5 for Trent, best non-pen XG and XA for defenders bar none. Guys, like 22, 23. Like, it's just absolutely ridiculous. So, there's, I, I just find it quite difficult to think of. Um, Cancelo, yep, you're right. Fun facts he had 83 shots last year. That's 30 more than Trent in second. 23 shots on target of that 83. <laughs> Eight more than Trent. 
decent XG. Loads of people uh, remember him flashing in lots of speculative long shots last season. And obviously the XG is kind of underpinned by the fact some of them were on target. My memory is of him missing lots of chances in the box, actually, lots of like one-on-ones, whatever. I still think he's a lock where I'm concerned at the moment, just because of the extra dimension he has to City. It'll be interesting to see if Corella goes there and how it kind of all eventually kind of turns out. Um, but I think that those two, for me at the moment, haven't really gone anywhere. I, I do know what you're saying about Laporte. I know uh, Sam, FPL Sports Science, mentioned Laporte's very good numbers. And City's defence can be like printing points, really, if you're in two of them. There's really an overall point to be made in the favour of centre-backs like Laporte, Van Dijk, your man Matip, Diaz. With that deepening of the five subs rule we spoke about last week and that potential for value to be found in the centre-backs. As is always miraculously discovered at the end of the season, like everyone's like, oh, these centre-backs, they seem to play quite a lot. <laughs> but in a campaign where X-Mins are more important than ever before, it could be that the centre-backs like Van Dyke, like Laporte, like Diaz become very important. But, but the only one who would probably maybe you know, convince me off Trent is obviously his teammate, Robertson. So he had very good exit velocity last season. Trent scored 174 points in the first 28 game weeks, which is 83% of his total output. He only scored 34 points in the final 10. So he, along with Salah, was basically disposable at the back end of last year in hindsight. In contrast, Robertson scored 62 points over that final 10 game week period. I wonder why this was and wondered if it was the introduction of Luis Diaz. And the beauty of FPL Twitter is that someone's already done the work for you a lot of the time. And my friend Praz FPL had done it for me here, which is very handy because it stopped me having to look it up. Um, but in 16 games, Robbo, Trent and Diaz played together in all competitions. Diaz, three goals, three assists. Robertson, two goals, five assists. Trent, three assists. So a very, very small sample size, but something to keep tabs on in terms of the balance of how Liverpool's attack could look as we filter through the campaign um, so maybe Robertson at seven might be more of a question than we've realized in terms of trend if you need to take that 0.5 for some reason I don't even know and the other guys um well we'll talk about Paris and Co in a second but at six are the Chelsea winbacks Lucy I mean Chilwell James I mean James is currently in the twin plate based off his almost stats defying one or haul <laughs> or not playing at all, sort of weird sort of uh, triumvirate last year. I mean, is he in your team at the moment, or is he one that you've considered? Yes, he is in my team at the moment. You know, you could also make a very good argument for Chilwell. I won't kind of go over old territory too much on this one, just to kind of briefly mention what we spoke about last week, and we spoke about, is that we're going to see a lot of changes from Chelsea on the defensive side, they, they need centre-backs and, and that, that will happen. And we've also seen the potential that Tuchel might look at formation change, which would push them back in, potentially back into the back four rather than the back five. Obviously, having wing-backs is, is the ideal from an FPL perspective. I don't think a back four would necessarily kill them as options. So, you know, obviously Cancelo and Trent play in a back four and, and they, they seem to be fine. Because they've priced them at six, you can probably take a bit of a gamble on that. I expected them to be six and a half and they weren't. And I I think basically across the board, all of these premiums are probably a bit cheaper than we expected or could have been justified. So Fair enough. I've actually got chill at the moment. And I think that that is based off an interesting kind of notion that I thought of and annoyingly loads of other people have thought of too when I was doing these notes. But I've kind of realised that 
James, because he can be an RCB as well, right? Center back and so on and so forth. He's got that sort of defensive side to his game versus Chilwell, who doesn't convince as much. I just feel like in a four or a five, James is going to be the one who probably has more defensive duties. And Chilwell is probably going to be the one who is liberated from those defensive duties because of his profile as a player. So Chilwell may be the one that would always be kind of employed in that attacking way, whereas the more defensively sound James, either in a four or a five, could be deployed with more defensive duties. So that could be a, an interesting way to poke at the current template with regard to either of them. But yeah, I agree. I think that I was surprised to see that they both got 6.0. I'm sure there'll be periods in the season when suddenly doubling up on them would be quite good. So both of them are for a combined price of 12. It does look like great value, really. That's one of these, though. There is one premium for whom EO may well rear its ugly head, and that is Perisic. Man my age, coming into the Premier League, a lot fitter than me, um, and a lot more lean than me, that's for sure. Um, but is he, Lucy, the best thing since sliced bread? I think he's probably simultaneously not worth the hype, but worth the spot on your team. Um, I think he's being hyped in such a way that you'd think he was going to basically break the Premier League by scoring 20 goals or something. It's it's kind of got to that point of hysteria on Twitter where I think you do need to balance it off a little bit. So spoke about it briefly last time, but the fact is that Conte has a lot of wingbacks at his disposal. Um, I mean, I know Reguilón's been linked with a move, but they're also linked with Ted Spence. Um, there, there seems to be quite a lot of depth in that position. So that would give Conte lots of options because Conte's managed Perisic before we can kind of get an idea for how he uses him so the good thing from an FPL perspective is that of the 24 matches he started under Conte in 2021 he was only sub before 60 in four of them um, so you're probably going to get those clean sheet points should they exist so that's a good thing but the, the thing is I've just said 24 games so he's he's started 24 games of, of a full season and I think that's entirely possible that you will see a random benching happen that said I think because we're in that position where we've got the extra wild card because you can be a bit more aggressive and because you probably need to get a little foot in that Spurs attack if particularly if you don't go for Kuliszewski I think he's probably at a price point where you can take the gamble I just think it's good to be mindful of the fact you're going to see some issues with his minutes, um, particularly from a starting perspective. I don't know if that's roughly where you are, Tom, or whether I, you're a bit more cynical on that one. I still need some convincing. I feel like the EO is probably going to push me there a little bit. I know he is an auto-pick teams as well, which is probably inflating the ownership a little bit. But there is definitely that potential for him to be Reese James Mark II. If he starts, you've got a good chance of something really going off with him. As you mentioned and Conte was his manager. So not last year. Like last year, he was under Inzaghi. Some uh, different manager, different context. So if we're kind of tracing back to two years ago. But he was rotated with Ashley Bloody Young in that time. And obviously, there's very good numbers. Uh, I'm still a bit cold on him, despite knowing that. I don't know. I, I feel like he could be the epitome. And maybe it's just me. Maybe it's that kind of evaluative heuristic of remembering past game week ones. He could be the epitome of FPL Twitter FOMO, especially 
you know, looking back on the, this sort of player coming into the Premier League, I mean, you've got his age, you've got the tax, I suppose, between the Italian league coming into the Premier League. It's, it's a little bit different, I guess, if we're trying to kind of track from one league to the other. I'm not entirely convinced yet. I, I understand as well, looking at the XGI numbers, etc., etc., why he's a good pick. I can understand as well why people are looking, especially if they're not convinced by Kulosevsky and they can't fit in Son and Kane, why he's going to be the guy who's going to be fulfilling in that Spurs attack sort of role for you. I think the Kulisevsky probably is similar to him in that. I suspect both are going to start game week one. So, um, yeah, I think at 5.5, I think you're probably right, actually. I think Brenner should, when I do get around to it, put him back in my team just because he's one of those that you can afford to take the risk, as you said. I think that that's probably... I think you've just got a full journey there. As you've I, I have, through. I have. But I think you're right, though. I think it's one of those where, even though I'm, I personally may not be particularly warm on him, as I said at the very start... That template is that a template for a reason. That certainly works. I'm not going to lose out by having him there. And especially if you keep 0.5 million in the bank, you're able to move him on. And the same with the Rashford point, you're on the bandwagon if that bandwagon takes off. And if you aren't with the bandwagon, then you're two steps behind because other people have got loads of points on the Southampton game. And you're probably going to be looking at bringing in that player before he rises. Uh, yeah, especially if you've only got kind of five or six games until you get a wild card anyway. It's, 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 it's a fine suck it and see, really, isn't it, with Perisic? Were you a bit colder on Perisic, perhaps, because you saw a bit more in the next, you know, the five million next category down? Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's start at five. We'll go to the 4.5s in a minute because there's a whole smorgasbord of players that have go into that. At the five, I think there are a couple that I really like. The first one actually is Gabriel Arsenal, not Gabriel Marcinelli, not Gabriel Jesus, Gabriel Magalhaes. Uh, so he actually last year was fifth for shots on target among centre-backs. He had the fourth most of the chance last season, the sixth overall in terms of defenders for shots in the box, which is pretty good for a central defender. I mean, he's the target for those all the Odegaard corners. And given our start, as I mentioned, I really don't mind going with him to start the season with this kind of added threat. Really? Because I don't think Ben White quite offers that, especially because Ben White's uh, five foot ten, I think it is. But Gabriel, I think, could offer a little bit of value there. And I, I quite like that idea, especially if I'm going to be wildcard in game week six, game week seven. Have those first kind of few games of him. He could really work out. And he's 0.5 million cheaper than Parasit. You may not play every single one of those kind of first six games. So as a kind of a medium term pick, I think he could work. Uh, the other one is uh, Trippier. Uh, we'll speak about a couple others, maybe. Modest five starts last campaign, only 400 minutes because he got injured, obviously. Uh, but over six points per 90 in those uh, starts, obviously a tiny, tiny sample size. But he raised to you know, one and a half key passes per game, which is pretty decent. And he also had the set-piece monopoly, which is very, very good for a cheap player. I really like that. And I, I can't see that changing uh, this year. Good couple of fixtures and could be a decent pickup there as well. So those are the two that I like at five. I know there's quite a few there, aren't there, Lucy, there? Yes, there are. I think to kind of back you up on the Gabrielle thing, I think I prefer him to Tierney. Tierney always gets a lot of buzz on Twitter and I can completely understand why his stats normally justify it. But the fact is that he always feels like a planned transfer because he's never reliably fit. So from that point of view, I prefer Gabrielle just from a kind of minutes perspective to kind of recap slightly on what you were saying on 
Trippier, I did see people suggesting that he was James Ward Prowse with clean sheets. This is entirely offensive and I will not be accepting it in any way. The only other one I wanted to pick up on was the potential that you might get a bargain out of the Man City defence. So at the moment, Walker's priced at 5 million. I think people have generally given him a wide berth because Man City are also linked to another £5 million player in Kukurea, who could be gold, I think, if he gets kind of adjusted quickly and that's my real concern there so if he did go I think he's the classic Pep transition player in the sense that Pep's unlikely to throw him in and start every game from the beginning but if he he can kind of establish himself and do that potentially when you're looking at a first or second wild card I think he could be great value he was third to Trent Robertson for chances created by a full back from open play last season and obviously is very highly rated at Brighton so if you can do that kind of thing at Brighton there's great potential at City so yeah apart from the two you've already said I guess there's just one final note which is the Villa fullbacks yeah come on get, get your Luca Dean out of here oh Luke, you don't want me to do you no no um, do, do Tabula Raza Tabula Raza exactly this is exactly proving that point I know Luca Dean has burned a lot of people a lot of times um, but he still delivers good stats. He still has a great cross in him, gets a few set pieces. I think he's well worth looking at as his cash. I think those Villa fullbacks have probably been overlooked just because we've seen so much value in this tier and in all other defensive tiers. I think we're in a position probably where people would like to have eight defenders at this rate. I know cash is quite high on the EO stakes, but Luca Dinia has hardly been touched, maybe for good reason. But yes, I think that's probably the extent of that and then of course we come to the four and a halfs i think we sure mentioned carl walker at the at five as well as i mentioned earlier you know if he does start having double city defense at times is like printing points but yeah i mean looking through the sort of list it christensen at leeds had a lot of shots but 5.0 place for leeds you know it's defenders <laughs> um Cucurella, yes, if he does go to City, that's that's probably an absolute bargain and probably would look at him to probably pair with Cancelo. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I might have him on his own, but you know, tight times. I don't think is... I could do it. I don't think I could go on his own. I think it would be a level up. Uh, Nathan Ake to Chelsea, potentially 5.0. He could want to mention. And then you've got like, you know, Cresswell, Aguirre at uh, West Ham and the Spurs defenders. I mean, they're all situational picks, aren't they, really? Uh, but yes, the 4.5s. There are more 4.5 defenders than any other category by some distance. Yep, it's absolutely ridiculous how many 4.5 defenders there are. 57% of all defenders fit into this category. This happened the last three or four years. They've basically just gone, oh, it's not amazing, but it's not terrible either. So I'm going to lump them in at 4.5 defence. And there are so many of them. So I think we'll probably need to just keep it quite short here and just kind of look at who we're actually favouring in this mix. I mean, the Arsenal kids, I get why people are interested. I think that Tommy Asu and White offer very little upside. Just solid 90-minute men in a def- decent defence, which I suppose makes sense to look at them. They're great kind of sub ones. Johnny at Wolves being mentioned, Botman... Uh, and others at Newcastle been mentioned too. I think there's probably a couple of ones that really stand out to me. The first one was the 4.5s uh, at Leicester. So Castagna, James Justin, Ricky P, Ricky Pereira. Don't know who's going to be occupying those slots, but James Justin a few years ago had a really decent heat map, a really decent points for game average. 
Second one is the cat kicker himself, Kurt Zuma. I was very surprised to see him at 4.5 just because West Ham are an okay, decent-ish defence average, about kind of nine or ten clean sheets a year. Um, the RSPCA's favourite could be one to think about just because of the head of the temps he gets every year. Maybe the inheritor of Dawson's crown is the guy that you get a 10-pointer, 15-pointer out of every now and again. But for me, I think it's Dunk at 4.5. That's the most appealing. 130-130 points a season guy, decent goal threat, bonus potential, etc. As nailed as they come. With him, he's the one that I look through, apart from Zuma, that stood out as being, wow, I'm surprised he's 4.5. Like if he was 5... I wouldn't have batted an eyelid. I, the, the, the F4.5, I think those are the things. If Botman maybe could be like an unproven one, especially as Newcastle improve as we expect them to. But Dunk was the one on, alongside Zuma that I looked at and thought, okay, these are the two. Where I wouldn't have been surprised if they were 5 million. So I think those two probably feel the best value to me in that area. Very good first benches. So the kind of player that you're happy to own centre-back, know they're going to play pretty much every game and can come on for you and do a job for you or rotate if there's a particular game out there. What do you think? I'm warmer on the Arsenal guys than you are. Arsenal are a better defence than the majority of those four and a half, so I think that attracts me as much as they don't have a significant upside. I think that can sometimes get overstated, especially when you talk about centre-backs. Yes, they might grab the old goal, but are you necessarily going to hit that goal if you don't have them kind of for a very long period? To come back to Botman, who you just mentioned, I don't see him necessarily as a starting option because I think he's going to go through a period of adaptation. But I think the potential to look at him, if you took a kind of game week six, seven wildcard, he's got a very good run of fixtures after that three of the kind of classic top six in an 11 week period so you could have quite a nice run at him then would also also apply to Trippier of course so um that same kind of period would also allow you to monitor Justin Castagne etc I think you've probably covered the main ones there all right big category a short section it's just the way it is 4.5 million defenders because mostly you get excited be... about them really can you well they're going to be crowded out unless you're going to freemium by people being awakened to the fact they're such great value. And there'll be one area, I think, where people are going to be kind of scrabbling around. Well, maybe not so much now, uh, because today, Neko Williams moved Nottingham Forest as the 4 million defenders. 90% of defenders cost 4 million. There are 34 of these at the time of recording. I think probably Neko Williams, maybe if Nat Phillips moves to Bournemouth, but Neko Williams probably is the one that I look at. He's not going to be an AWB, I don't think. I know he's very attacking, I suspect he's very likely to be a Brandon Williams sort of character. But with the ownership point that I mentioned earlier on, in terms of just insulating yourself against price drops, going most popular player at this point makes a lot of sense. And as an enabler as well, so saving 0.5 from the likes of Lewis Dunk or the likes of Ben White down to this guy, that 0.5 can either be stuck in your bank or it can be used to do something else elsewhere. There's not that much in terms of data for Neko last year. I admit I didn't watch Fulham last year. I'm really sorry, Rich Lozman. Uh, two goals and two assists for Fulham in 14 games. 0.3 goal involvements per 90. Purely eye test. It sounds like the Fulham fans were quite complimentary about him. And it sounds like it would just be a case of just looking at if you're going to go over 4.0, just seeing who the highest owned player is and just going with that. I think that that's probably the most logical way of approaching it. What do you think? Yeah, I think Nico Williams makes a lot of sense. I think this is probably the first season where 
there's potentials that you've got a nailed on four million starter and he's not necessarily a default pick because I think there is just so much value elsewhere. I, I don't think it's quite as kind of compulsory as it felt in previous seasons because, I mean, the four and a halfs would only would maybe give you something a bit more solid from a clean sheet perspective. And then also there are the people that have kind of gone premium across the full five. So yeah, he's not potentially as as default as he was before, but um, I think probably the the reputation of Jed Spence is probably playing a little bit of a part in the, the Nico Williams hype in the sense that Jed Spence was obviously quite an attacking wing back at Forest last season, isn't going to be carrying on, looks like he might go to Spurs. So there's a thought that Williams would slot into that kind of role in the team and potentially have quite a lot of attacking threat. So yeah, I think he's a perfectly fine option. I don't think there's much else in that category from what I could see. And I'm just going to prioritise someone that starts if I if I go down that route, really. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I probably will go, uh, end up going down that route. I, I know that it's an enabler, but equally, I kind of know that come two or three days for game week one, I'm going to be sat there thinking, I need like 0.5. Sorry, Lewis, I'm going to end up with Neko. You need the 0.5 for your bank, don't you? Exactly. That's, that's the logical thing to do. Right, final position is the strikers. And we're going to swap it around so we end up looking at 4.5 million strikers, the bummest note you could ever end on. Let's start there instead. Strikers, 4.5 to 5. There's 13 of these. That's actually, there's only 57 strikers in the game. It's not that many. Almost a quarter of them are pretty cheap in terms of 4.5 to 5. And I look at the ownership at the moment and it looks to be... Mr. Greenwood, uh, Arsenal old boy at Leeds. I think he looks a decent pick. There's reports that Marsh actually sees him as a number 10. Says he's very talented, um, which encourages me a bit in terms of minutes he will play. And I think we're still kind of wasting around. For I don't know if we're going to end up dating the pod here, Lucy, but looks like a Lee ended up Southampton move seems to be what loads of people are hanging their hat on. Yeah, so Saints are linked to Kabore, one of their right backs, who I think actually was attracting interest from other Premier League clubs. Uh, yeah, we're linked with a loan for him or a loan for Delap. I, I think it's probably quite likely that we'll have a loan from one of those two, just because we're doing so much business with City this summer. We've already bought two of their players, so there seems to be quite a strong connection there. We've also got their youth recruitment guys coming to be our head of recruitment, so there's kind of clearly quite a link going on with City here. So. Yes, I think that's probably your best chance of getting value out of the four and a halves. And if not, then it, it's going to case of getting Greenwood and sort of sacking it up. I think the dearth of options here is another reason to look away from one striker up top because I, I think there's so much better value from, say, Nico Williams as a budget option in the defence or Pereira or De Silva from the, the midfielder uh, position. Yeah, so yeah. I think... This is another reason why you probably don't go for for one up top. Yeah, so striker two, as I said earlier, is quite an interesting slot. And I think there's obviously the whole gamut of where you probably go with that in middle reaches uh, between 5.5 and 8.5. Richarlison's actually the only 8.5 striker in the game, like Bowen is the only 8.5 midfielder. That's 67% of the strikers, 38 of these guys. And the 5.5 to kind of six area... I think we really need to home in on the likes of Undav, Awaniyi, Johnson and Mbwemo. Undav, to start with, I've seen him in a few teams. So worked well in Belgium, 25 goals, nine assists for Brighton Sister Club Union SG as they almost won the league last year and they lost on a playoff or something like that. 
I don't know. Could he be the man who ends Bryson and X Albium's playful nickname? I simply don't know. I'm sorry, I should have mentioned Slanky as well at six. Uh, decent in the championship last year. He's now nearly 25. So if, if one of those players who was forever young, but time is a creeping. At 29 goals, seven assists last season. I'm just not too sure about him either, mainly because the opening fixtures are shocking for Bournemouth, Aston Villa, Man City, Arsenal and Liverpool. Ooh, it's not good. And Scott Parker from listening to Neil Grover on Planet FPL seems to be making them more hard to beat, basically, like Parker at Fulham. So I'm not sure about them. But Mbwemo and maybe Awanii are the two I'd look at. I mean, Johnson, 16 goal centers championship last year. Big hope of Welsh football. I think it's Mbwemo and Awanii who are the two. I'm very sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Oh, I looked it up. It is, that is correct. Awanii. Yeah. Excellent. Perfect. So the first one, Mbwemo, the carpenter, loves the woodwork. Six times last season hitting the woodwork, uh, equal with Rafinha. Not a lucky man when it comes no, to... No, definitely, definitely not. But that's an encouraging thing. I know people are saying, oh, that's really annoying. But that's an encouraging thing. And I also think what's worth pointing out is that with these players, the ones that we don't know too much about, we don't really think about them in terms of their age profile, things like that. Like in my head... I thought Mbwemo was like, you know, a 29-year-old grizzled veteran of the lower reaches of Ligue 1. But actually, he's 22. He was 23 on game week one. And he had a better non-pen XG than Tony did last year. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty... just his underperformance that's killed him, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, think about Tabula Raza, the 6.0 with decent opening fixtures. I mean, I spoke about Wisser earlier on being pretty decent, but that could be more than all right, especially with Brentford and how they play, how they set up. I mean, look at him, Awanee, 15 goals in the Bundesliga last year. And what was really impressive about him was he had a 50% conversion rate of shot on target to goals. So that's one to watch. Like, he's very good at making the most of having few chances. I think it was at Union Berlin last year. And he was an 88th percentile, according to FB Ref, for forwards of finishing, which is really good. So I think either one, Lucy, could be a really good kind of surprise package at the price. And you look at them, they will speak about kind of the more expensive forwards in just a minute. But either of them, I'm sure they probably won't be, but could be the sort of player who makes a mockery of their initial kind of cost. Yeah, Awani, that 15 goals from 29 starts seems to me to be a pretty good output. And he's done that off 14 XG. So that's pretty much in line with expectations from a statistical point of view. I think the difficulty with him is that he didn't really have consistent Bundesliga minutes in the previous season. So I had a kind of little bit of a look back at him. But the previous two seasons did point to the same statistical trends in terms of, you know, per 90. So between 0.5 and 0.6. So it suggests that even when he wasn't getting minutes, he was still kind of providing threat and involvement. So I think he's the one that I'm particularly interested in the category. And he's the kind of player that could tempt me to shift structure a little bit. And Buemo, I'm I'm a bit cold on. I know his XG was really good, but I think his versatility may count against him. So he's been recategorized to a striker. And I think you do see him fairly frequently not play as a striker. And that always puts me off a little bit. Yeah, but... you don't done the poo asset, do you really? No, that's essentially what he would be a poo. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, that's what he would be a poo. Um so <laughs> that's my only criticism there. I think he has probably been undervalued because of underperforming his statistics so badly but I just don't want to get into a position where I'm looking at my striker playing in midfield it's hard enough for cheap strikers to do well from a points perspective without them also being further away from the goal 
All right, let, let's move up then. So 6.5 sevens. No, it's Mitrovic, Welbeck, and Mopay. Let's just leave Melbeck and Mopay. Maybe Martial at 7.0 could be one to keep an eye on if he manages to nail that number nine shirt. I mean, definitely could draw some admiring glances if he does well in preseason. We'll need to see, basically. Tony Ings at seven. Let's leave Ings as well at this point, too. Uh, but Mitrovic is probably worth mentioning quickly. I'm actually just really, really flipping glad that we've avoided the FOMO on him. Because if they got an easier start, I think that he would be the subject of a frenzy of Twitter threads on why he should be in your team. It's very important to have that tabula rasa with Mitrovic, that's for sure. According to Athletic, he's got a manager again in Marco Silva who really rates him. The team is set up to play for him, unlike it was before. And there was that significant managerial change last time Fulham were in the Premier League. He's not that bad at all, actually. I mean, when he had the full season back in 2018-19, he came over an XGI of 15, ended up with 11 goals and three assists, which isn't bad at all. I suspect that at some point he'll be in mind for us, won't he, over the course of this year. I think the other one in this sort of category is Tony. I'm really not sure on Tony without Ericsson. It remains to be seen whether Josh De Silva is going to step up and replicate what Ericsson does. I'll say a lot more in Talisman Theory, which come out this week, because the last kind of 10 game weeks where he really took off and equally those game weeks when Ericsson was playing. So I think I'd be happy if I was to kind of look at it and think, well, I might as well take the saving with Mbwemo and spend that extra million elsewhere between those two. So I think this category is one where I'm not particularly excited. I'm with you on that one. I think it's actually replicating the same structure that we saw in the midfield. So we're quite interested in the six and six and a half midfielders and the eight midfielders. Similarly here, I think there's value in the six strikers and and the eight but the kind of dearth in the middle is a bit horrible. I mean, you said not to mention Ings. He only started 22 games last season, down from 26 previous season, down from 32. He got 32 in that project restart season. In a normal season, he's just not reliable enough. He was a thousand minutes down on that peak last season. So just don't see him being reliable enough. I think Villa have got regrets pretty much about buying him, if we're honest. And Watkins is just a half million more expensive. So it's not really worth doing. Tony, I do share the same reservations I think it's probably just worth pointing out that between decent fixtures and penalties he might turn out okay but it's just not enough to entice me which brings us therefore to Watkins, Bamford, Wilson the seven and a halves I know when we last spoke you were quite hot on Wilson Tom has that has that changed? Basically I think having two forwards is a good idea I think that probably one of the 8.0s has a better shout than Wilson does just about but I think the 7.5s Wilson probably is the main man in that sort of area Bamford's overpriced frankly I mean he was very close to 200 club two years ago the whole of the Elsa system was set up to service him very very good year two years ago like ridiculously good it's just whether that was an Annus Mirabilis or not Watkins we've spoken about a second ago he's like the guy who seems to be trusted by Gerard Antonio as well in this slot started very well last season as well was the man to own for a while but then talking about Wilson five points per game last season I think he's just a perpetual threat at any club I think I mean he's got that knack of scoring goals in games like versus Chelsea comes to mind for some reason and he's, he's always kind of steady pick I think having a player like him or 0.5 million more like Jesus makes a lot of sense that's for sure and not throwing the baby out the bath water when it comes to strikers especially what we said last week in terms of looking at the strikers and not getting too carried away with how they were terrible last season makes 
a lot of sense to me at least. And with Eddie Howe managing the team, Wilson established as number nine. Chris Woods, I'm sure, was a pure banter transfer. I think he, looking at the ownership as well at the moment, 3% or something, with those two really good starting fits for Newcastle, could be a very interesting pick to start the season on penalties as well. So if you're looking at 7.5, you haven't got 0.5 to get up to Jesus, who we're going to speak about in just a sec. I think that Wilson would probably be your man. Yes, he certainly would be for me. I can't make a compelling case for any of those seven and a halfs. And it's just a question whether you need that half million. It might be that Nico Williams now gives you a half million that you can use to upgrade to the eight millions. Speaking of the eight millions, I think we can pretty much skip over DCL, given that Everton have got significant financial issues and are unlikely to make big moves to strengthen their attack. They've obviously lost Richarlison that's going to kind of weaken that as well. So that brings you to Jesus and Havertz. I think Jesus is probably the big surprise since we last spoke because we didn't know the price at that point. Eight million is cheaper than expected. And I think there's plenty in his kind of statistical background to suggest that he could be really good. His stats at City were very good last season. So we're looking at 0.71 XGI per 90. And he's kind of historically delivered some pretty stupendous figures 1920 he did very well but that was undermined by kind of quite a poor conversion rate and I think there's probably been quite a lot of probably overstated criticism about his finishing ability but I think if he can hold down his place up top he he could be a really good option he's he's in my draft at the moment with Jesus I think you're right he was a surprise when he came in at eight and as many have noted he had a very very good record at Man City I think it's an average of 0.75 goals or assists per 90 while he was there. And now it is a case of which one it was with him. Was it Man City having the most creative midfield in Europe, which was giving him chances? Or was it that Jesus, the player himself, was getting in the positions to make those chances be convertible into good stats, if not amazing returns? I don't know the answer, but 8.0 is a very, very good opening price. I did say earlier I was looking at Saka, but I think that Jesus just about takes it from him. And he said himself as well, I know we shouldn't place too much prominence on player interviews. He sees himself as number nine, Jesus getting on the end of crosses and things like that. Ludicrous value, potentially. And it just feels like he's got that toxic mix of being one of the highest owned players, being a known quantity, having good fixtures and being desperate to impress. As I said ages ago, the template isn't a bad thing. And I think that Jesus falls into what you were saying about Perisic a little bit, Lucy, that you don't really lose out too much by just going with that at the start of the season. He did do a couple of goals against Nuremberg, so he got through that particular trial. I mean, what do you think about Jesus? Is he the guy that you're currently backing in this uh, second striker slot? Yes, I do have him in at the moment. I think he's probably fairly nailed on. The only thing I did discuss was potentially going down to a six so that I could upgrade a midfielder up to an eight. You know, it's, it's back to that kind of same flip-flop between sixes and eights. I think he obviously isn't, as you kind of said, isn't going to get the same chances that he would have got at City, but he's also going to get a lot more starts and a lot more minutes, you'd have thought. So I think that might counteract that to a certain extent. I think the other person in the category is Havertz, whose stats are actually really good. It's just that he never really gets enough starts. So he's only started 18 in the previous season and 22 last season with 1,800 minutes in the league last season. Um, obviously, Lukaku leaving might increase that. Yeah. But that's quite concerning. I mean, that's only 250 minutes more than someone like, I don't know, Eduard, who 
it's a, it's a pretty <laughs> rotation freak. So he's not really shown me so far that he can really provide the starts and expected minutes that I'd want from that kind of investment. Yeah, I mean, it will take me a bit of time before I can trust him again, that's for sure. But moving him to a striker makes a lot of sense. I just thinking about how he played when he was at Leverkusen, that's for sure. I wonder whether you're going to kind of see him provide that sort of room for Sterling to work. I think that that's going to be probably the biggest thing. Thinking about how he and uh, Moussa Diaby sort of used to work together, a lot of the time it was about Havertz playing that Firmino role, dragging the defender and allowing the the inside forward to cut in. I, I just wonder whether that's going to be replicated with Sterling. Lots of things have been said about Tuchel, like pointing out how he thinks that Sterling's going to fit into his team. I think a lot of that's going to be really contingent on how Havertz plays in that team as we saw last year with how Havertz played in that team yes he was capable of getting those goals and getting into threatening areas but I think a lot of the time this year it's going to suit him perhaps to have another player like Sterling who's going to take the mantle and for him to be that sort of provider if not in the stats then in the movement eight million still could be decent like Firmino back in the day was very decent for that price if they did get on a little goal scoring stint so I can see him eventually at times, attacking the template. But I think that it's going to be Jesus at the start of the season. Let's face it, 8 million. I think that he makes a lot of sense. Final thing is the premium strikers. Ronaldo. <laughs> Vardy, feasibly not needing rotation earlier in the season. Iheanacho and Daka are still there and ended the last season very well. Could the old warhorse be worth our while? And Liverpool strikers, before we get double digits, Jota and Darwin, I think both of them are a wait and see. I wouldn't be surprised to see Jota start game week one. I feel like those players were very situational. Like with Vardy, I'd be much more interested in looking at Madison, maybe Barnes. With Ronaldo, 100%, I'd be looking at Bruno if I was a Man United fan and looking at including a Man United player, unless I was a Ronaldo fanboy, in which case you're probably not listening to the podcast at this point, let's be fair. And Liverpool strikers, you've got Mo Salah, you've got Luis Diaz, you've got great options at the back. I don't think there's much interest there. But I think the biggest thing really here is Haaland or Kane. I've seen a few people saying, leave Haaland for the West Ham game, see what happens get Kane in for the Southampton game and top him over for that Bournemouth game in game week two when you've got massive FOMO. I, I don't think either of us can go about Hallen at this point. I'll be really loosey barring injury in pre-season or something like that. I think we kind of covered it at the beginning of the pod, but yeah, Haaland's pretty nailed in for me. Kane, I think there is reason for him. If He's a different way of going through that kind of three-medium structure we're talking about. You don't necessarily have to give a son. I think Kane is also a viable option, but I just don't think that I can see passing up Haaland for Kane I think it also points to the idea that planning in transfers, as as discussed, I've seen a few people mention that plan you just said. I think planning in transfers on premiums at the beginning of the season is not a good idea. I think you've got the luxury of the extra wildcard, so you can be a bit more aggressive at the beginning of the season, but I don't think that should involve planning in transfers. It should mean that you you can dead-end a team, maybe if you'd like to, into five or six, but I think planning in transfers and kind of thinking, oh, well, I'll swap between this premium and that premium, I just wouldn't do it because it it so limits your ability to leap on those kind of bandwagons and all that kind of stuff we discussed. It's like this distraction that you know that you've got to restructure your team. So I really wouldn't do that. If you want to go with Kane as a premium striker, you just need to commit to it. I was talking about this in the behavioural science pod, but the novelty effects versus ambiguity bias. I mean, novelty 
dictates we want the shiny new toy uh, versus ambiguity, which dictates we stick with what we know in confusing times. But handing them a hype means that he's currently the number one pick for many people, that's for sure. Or joint number one, maybe with Salah in South Island. <laughs> and, but I think that indifferent game week one to West Ham is kind of something you can ride out. And that game week two versus Bournemouth is going to be you know, that, that EO for that. The FOMO for that is going to be absolutely huge. I'm not going to extol Erling Haaland's data here. We all know it, or at least have a modicum of an idea about what it is. But I, I think overlooking Kane perhaps is something that you might do at your peril. I'm sure there'll be a few people game week one who just kind of think, I'm not going to overlook the proven quantity. Um, there's loads of kind of very, very good examples from last year, year before, year before that, of people who have just gone, you know what, I'm not getting anyone new. I'm just getting the tried and trusted guys. And that makes complete sense. And as you said, the freemium probably could be the way around that. So going with a Son or a Kane, plus Haaland and Salah. If Salah's untouchable, you could maybe kind of look at a Haaland or Kane and having something like that. The EO, I know I hate to talk about it, but probably is going to be the one that would mean most people end up with Erling. It's difficult, or it's not that difficult, actually. I think we, we all kind of pretend it's difficult and we, should, we know we should be thinking about Kane, but I think that Haaland is going to be the one that we end up with, basically, in the premiums. And I can't really see that changing. I know the ownership now is kind of 60% plus. Can't see that declining, really, just because you've got that the hype factor plus the fact that he's genuinely a very, very good player. I like at the beginning of this pod, we're like, oh, we're not going to go into ownership too much. And yet we keep being like, now, because of effective ownership, you should probably just own the <sighs> player. It's just about being sensible and not taking unnecessary risks. We've discussed quite a lot of different options for the lower tier categories where you can take a few gambles and a few risks. But in these premium categories, I think you just need to cover off the bases and make sure that you're not miles behind after a few game weeks, which is what can happen if you try to gamble against the herd too early. I agree. Well, I think that we've managed to do it, Lucy. I think that's all four positions covers. I think that's probably your lot. Hopefully that was useful. It took bloody ages to research, but I, I truly enjoyed doing that and doing this pods. So yeah, hopefully there'll be a gem or two for you in there. We'll talk about the structural stuff. We touched on a bit as the season dawn draws closer. We've reached the beginning of August. But yes, thank you very much for listening. Yes, thanks everyone for sticking through that whirlwind tour. I think we've hopefully given you something to think about um, and where to position your risks. We were Who Got the Assist at WGTA underscore FPL, or you can find me at Lucy Hynett with two T's. If you enjoyed listening to this, please like and subscribe to the podcast for new listeners out there. If you think you'll be coming back, please hit that five-star rating across platforms like iTunes and Spotify so more people can enjoy the pod. Yep, thanks very much indeed. Do go ahead and do that. We hope you enjoyed this. We hope it assisted you. And we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Uh, this week, Talisman Theory is also coming out, I should mention, via All About FPL on Thursday. And then next week, it's the start of our summer specials with FPL and Behavioural Science. And the week after that, it will be FPL and ITKs. We'll be back with a proper pod again before game week one to reflect on where we are, talk about structural stuff, how we're setting up. And yeah, just how we're going to go about attacking game week one of 2022-2023. Speak very soon. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.